Would you join me as we welcome our KKVV listening audience? We are the Abundant Life Seventh-day Adventist Church, 1720 North J Street, and we welcome each one of you as you join with us today in the worship of our Lord on his holy day. We want to remind you to be good students and take pencil and paper in your Bible and follow along. Also, remember our website. Visit it. You will find many useful resources there that will be a blessing to you. You can find us at www.abundantlifelv.org. You'll be glad you visited the site. You will find many things that will be a blessing. Today, our sermon is brought to us by our pastor, Dr. Calvin Rock, as he continues his series on the Lord's Prayer. Before he speaks, we will have scripture brought to us by Camilla Coggs, sacred selection by Winterside Janine Keller, after which time our pastor will speak to us from the word of God. May you be blessed as you worship him in spirit and in truth with us today. Our scripture will be brought from Psalms 86, 1 through 7. Psalms 86, 1 through 7. I will be reading from the New International Version. Hear ye, O Lord, I answer, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am devoted to you. You are my God, save your servant who trusts in you. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I call you to all day. Bring joy to your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up myself. For you are forgiving and good, O Lord, Arounding in love to me, all calling to you. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. In the day of my trouble, I will call unto you, for you will answer to me. We have a correction on the special music that will be brought to us by Evan Piles.
Thank you, Evan. Shall we bow our heads? Dear Father, we give glory and honor to your name today. We give praise in music, vocal, instrumental, in our giving, in our association and communion with one another. And we ask now that as we open the word to study again from the model prayer that your Holy Spirit will be our teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. We're back to the book of Matthew chapter 6 and the Lord's Prayer. We have been progressing from week to week as our Sabbaths have permitted and indicated. On last Sabbath, we began our studies in the middle part of the Lord's Prayer, having noted that the first part has the introduction, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, so forth. And the last part, thine be the glory and the honor, the kingdom, we'll come to that. But in the middle, we noted that there are four personal requests. The middle of the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, is different from either the beginning or the end in that the middle is not ascribing power to God so much as asking God for certain request or asking of him, requesting of him certain needs and certain desires. And there are four of them. The first one we studied last Sabbath was give us this day our what, everybody? Our daily bread. And the next one, the one we look at now, the second of these four personal requests that we make of God the second one says, say it with me, won't you? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Let's say it again. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And right away, we notice a major difference between the first petition and the second one. The first one is a request to give us something. We want something added. But this second request about our debts is asking that something be taken away. The first petition asks God to add some things to what we have. The second petition asks him not to add but to remove something. The first one asks that he add to our bread the second one asks that he take away our bad. The first one asks that he multiply our substance. The second one asks that he subtract our sins. The first one asks that he supply us all these things. The second one asks that he remove all our transgressions. The first one asks that he increase our comforts. 
Our money, our bread, our food, our houses, our clothing, our associations. We are asking in petition number one, give us this day our daily bread for an increase in comfort. But the second asks that he cancel, that he eradicate our crookedness. The first one asks that he give us water. The second one asks that he delete our weaknesses. The first one asks that he grant us our physical needs. The second one asks that he wipe out our spiritual debts. And as we read uh, this list, as we review this comparison, we remember what was read in our scripture a few moments ago, that even as we ask, he is ready to forgive. And as Psalm 86, 5 reminds us, plenteous in mercy. So Jesus tells them and us, that multitude on the seashore, along the mountainside, as he looks down upon the thousands, pray, Father, give us this day our daily bread. Give us, add on, and also while you're at it, pray, take away. Take away our sins. Take away our debts. Take away our guilt. And he is plenteous in mercy, we've already read, and he is willing to forgive. But in order for him to forgive, there are certain considerations that have to be met or kept in mind. Number one, we must be aware or conscious of the fact that we have a debt. What does it mean simply to get on our knees and say, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors when in fact we are not conscious or aware of any particular spiritual debt that we have to God. Otherwise, we're just mouthing something. We're just repeating something we learned like we did when we were children. Now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. It's just a rehearsal of a little jingle to get down on our knees and say, forgive us, O Lord, our debts as we forgive our, daily, uh, our debts, our debtors, and we have nothing in mind specific. In the early part of 2002, I joined a fitness club here in Las Vegas. They had a special on. And they said, you can join for life. Just pay this special fee. I said, that sounds good. They have a pool, a sauna, a hot tub, and barbells, and all those things. Keep your body in shape. I'll join. And I went down, and I joined, Brother Carter. I put my money on the line and said, now I belong to this 24-hour fitness outfit forever. I don't have to worry about it. I'm in. Thought that was great. And I've been going there in the years that have ensued, sometimes more than others, but I go and I enjoy swimming. Sometimes I put my feet in the water, it's a little chilly, but then when I plunge in, it feels good. And I just swim back and forth. And while I'm swimming, I'm thinking about you sometimes and thinking about my family and I'm praying, just swimming. Then I get out of there, I go into the sauna. I don't like to dry one. 
or the wet one rather with all the steam. I like the dry one. It makes you perspire. And I get in there and I just stay in there five or ten minutes and I imagine I'm getting all the poisons out. Then I rinse off. Then I go under the shower and I shower. Then I jump in the hot tub. And somebody said, you sit in that hot tub long enough, it builds up your white corpuscles. And the white corpuscles help you to fight disease. So I sit in there long enough and say, come on, corpuscles, multiply. I want to fight off all the cancer, all the disease. I want to be strong. And I enjoy it. Take a good shower, feel good, go home, get breakfast, and do whatever else comes next. And I ran in there the other day, last week, and presented my card like usual smiling at the young folk on the other side of the desk. The young lady looks, and I saw her frown. I said to myself, now, what's wrong with her? Doesn't she know I've been coming here four years? And she said, sir, do you know that uh, you owe us some money? I said, no, you know, this is right. I've been coming here. I have a lifetime membership, and she's telling me I owe. And I gave her a stern look. I said, what do you mean? And my look was so stern, she turned to the fellow for help. I didn't even say anything. <laughs> Ask him for help. And he came, and he was a little more authoritative, and he tapped a little bit in the computer. He said, sir, your membership requires you a $49 annual renewal fee. You owe us for two years. And I looked at them, and I stammered and stuttered, and I said to myself, all right, Barack, you just didn't read the contract well enough, you, you know you owe, but I still tried to look as innocent as I could, and they saw how innocent I looked, and they said, well, you go ahead this time, but next time you come, you've got to pay two years before you get in, and that's fair, but I didn't know, and now I know, now I must pay, and that's exactly the case with a lot of people in life. They are swimming along not realizing that they are spiritually in debt and in debt big time to God. Not a couple of years, but a whole lifetime worth of sin and transgression. Sins of commission and sins of omission. Acts of evil and not just acts of evil, thoughts of evil that we have piled up in this mountain of debt that we owe God. Our jealousies, our judgmentalism, our pride, our extravagance, our waste of time, our desire for revenge, our selfishness, our evil speaking, our gossiping. But it's when we come to the judgment bar of God's Ten Commandments and God holds up that law, the first four telling us how to serve God and the last six telling us how to treat our fellow human beings as we look into the law, which is a mirror. Then we see how much in debt we are to God for the life we live and for his goodness toward us. And then we look at various statements in the Bible and we see our debt, particularly in the book of Romans. Particularly in the book of Romans. In the book of Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 we read, There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. 11 and verse 10, As it is written, 
There is none righteous, no, not what? No, not one. And then there's that scripture over in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Romans 6, 23, which says, But the wages of sin is what, everybody? But the gift of God is what? And we're all owing God. We're all sinners. We're all in debt. And the debt we owe is death. And it is everlasting death. And the word of God reminds us not only in these ways, but most of all when we look at Jesus. And when we see in Jesus our second Adam who took on human flesh, follow me now, who came into this world all God wrapped up in humanity. He didn't leave Godhead in heaven. When he came into this world, he was still God. The only thing is he was God wrapped up in humanity and he lived his life by the rules and with the limitations of the human race. He did not draw on his God power to feed him when he was hungry. He did not draw on his God power to deliver him from temptation. He played the game by the rules of humanity and he never sinned. Never once did he fail. Never once did he break down. He never had a lapse. He was holy when he was born. He was perfect when he was a child. He was completely perfect all the rest of his life, even to the cross when he had his most trying hours. He still maintained his beauty, his composure, his perfection. And when we look at what he went through and how he was faithful to the end and the fact that we then see ourselves and how easily we are upset when somebody blows their horn at us in the traffic. When we see how easily we are undone when somebody says something mean about us or to us. When we see how easily we get undone when we think somebody has cheated us or done us wrong or overlooked us. When we see how our tempers flare and how our pride balloons and when we remembered, when we remember not only the evil we have done but the evil, the good which is evil still, the good we left undone. And we compare it with the life of Jesus. We have to say with Isaiah in Isaiah 6 verse 3, when he saw him on his throne, he said, Woe is me, for I am a man of undone lips. I am undone. Woe is me. And the fact is that when we look at Jesus, we must say, Woe is me. Now, if you look at the pastor or the pastors, or the elders or the deacons, you might say, pretty good is me. I'm doing all right. I'm going to compare myself to, to the elders of the church. And if I compare myself to the elders, why, uh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm about as good as they are. 
I'm about as good as the people next to me and around me in the church. I'm about as good as the next people or person in the Sabbath school. I'm doing all right compared to them, but they are not the standard, brothers and sisters. The standard is Jesus, and when we look at Jesus and his perfection and realize how far we are from that, when we see the beauty and grandeur of his perfection, the only conclusion we can have is that of Isaiah, woe is me. Woe is me. So, when we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, we must first of all be willing and aware, willing to understand and be willingly aware of the fact that we are in need. But there's another condition. And that condition is one step beyond awareness, and that is confession. No need to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors unless we're willing to confess those sins. Once the Holy Ghost reveals them, once you compare your sorry self with the sacred Savior and see the difference, just get down. The Word of God tells us we need to get down and confess who we are and what we are and not be worried about what other people are and how we stack up with our neighbors. David had it right. In Psalm 32, verse 5, when he said, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. Now, you know about David, and I'm going to go through the whole salacious story about him and Bathsheba and her taking the bath and sending Uriah to the front of the battle. You know the story. David acted like a scoundrel. But when his sin was pointed out to him, he said, I acknowledge my sin. Yes, I did it. I'm sorry. One of our problems as human beings is even when our sins are presented to us, we love to play the blame game. Is that right, Bill Piles? Yeah, we play the blame game. It started way back in the Garden of Eden when the Lord said, Adam, what you doing, my man? He said, oh, yeah, I know, but see this woman, this woman you gave me. And then he says, Eve, why'd you do it? Well, it's this serpent you made. And by inference, they're both blaming whom? Both blaming God. We're famous for the blame game, but David had it right. He said, mea culpa, I am guilty and... Uh, Paul had it right in 1 Timothy 1.15 when he said, I am the chief of sinners. When I was very young, I used to wonder when I studied the Bible, Sister Eileen White, I used to wonder, what, what, Paul, what, what does Paul mean when he says, I am chief of sinners? But you know, I've come to, I've come to understand, I've come to understand that every one of us, when we look into the face of Jesus, when we see his loving face and the life that he lived and all that he's done for us, that should be every one of our admission. 
in abundant life, I am the chief of sinners. And I am. I am the chief of sinners. I know me and I know God and how far I am from him. And I can understand what Paul meant when he says, I am the chief of sinners. He had it right. David had it right. And John had it right when he wrote in 1 John 2, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And that confession must be based on genuine sorrow, not on getting caught, not on bad results, not, not because we feel, we feel like we could have done it better, but because of genuine regret that we have wounded the heart of God. And I've told this story before, but for those of you who haven't heard it, let me tell it again. When I was 15 or 16, growing up in a Christian home with rules, one of which was I had to be home at a certain time every night. Do you have rules in your house, parents? You got rules? You got rules. I hope you got rules. All right. My mother had rules. And when I was 12 and 13, you know, certain hour, 14, 15, got a little, you know, just... 15, 20 minutes later, half hour later. By the time I was 16 or so, it was, it was a rule. I had to be home at a certain time. Parties at the church socials or whatever, I had to be home. But I got big enough that uh, no father in the house, you know, I began to throw my weight around a little bit. And I began to push those rules. Elder Muldrow, push those rules. And the most cataclysmic night in my life I think the most determinative night in my life is when I crept home early one Sunday morning about 15 16 crept home early one Sunday morning two or three hours beyond the deadline and my mother opened the door and I was ready for whatever I was ready she could hit me with a two-by-four, and I thought she would, but I was ready because I didn't care. I didn't care. She opened the door, and all she did was look. And I'd rather she hit me with a two-by-four. <laughs> but when she looked, her eyes were swollen with tears her face was flushed and red and 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 her head was trembling with sorrow and her body was shaking with sadness at the sight of her son her oldest child her son and the way he was headed and she simply dropped her head and shook her head with tears and closed the door and it pierced me to my heart. In a moment, I saw all of the love she'd had for me, rearing her two children without a father. I, I remembered all the time she'd come home from teaching school and then go out and wait on tables. I knew how she denied herself food and clothing so that we could go to church school. And it all came to me as to how much she'd done for me and the fact that I wasn't just breaking a rule, I was breaking my mother's heart. And I went back to my room 
and I fell across my bed and I cried and cried and cried and I promised God and I promised her that there wouldn't be any more nights like that and that's the way it is with us in our wounding the heart of God when we sin these debts we're praying about forgive us of these are not just breaking rules written on the wall this is a matter of piercing the heart of the God who's done so much for us young people it's a matter of saddening the one who died who came down and died on Calvary that we might live and when we do that we are really sorry when we see it and understand it we're sorry we confess it we are touched by his love changed by his spirit we are sorry not because we got caught we're sorry because it pains the heart of Jesus and we cry out father I'm sorry and I'm uncomfortable with this I feel dirty I feel guilty and I don't want to do it anymore Jesus and when we do he will forgive us he will forgive us because he is plenteous in mercy but there's a third condition that must be met we must not only be aware we must not only admit and confess but we must also forsake that's what David says here he says I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden I said I will confess my transgressions and you forgave the iniquity of my transgressions you forgave the iniquity of my sins and in other places a number of other places David talks about how God forgave him and not only did God forgive him but in fact God cleansed him and this forgiveness that I'm talking about today includes that as well it includes not only confession awareness and confession but it includes forsaking or repenting not just being aware and sorry but stopping it this this business of uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors indicates that we want not only to be cleansed but we want to forsake we want to repent and leave it behind us we want to stop doing it that's what this prayer means folk don't even pray it if you don't mean it because when you pray it you're saying Lord not only do I want you to cover what's in the past but I want you to help me not to do it anymore stop doing it stop going there stop eating that stop wearing that stop saying that stop reading that stop thinking that stop looking at that Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors is a cry for cleansing. It's a plea for freedom from the addictions, all sins, big sins, and little sins. And make no mistake, brothers and sisters, there is a difference in sins. There is gradation of sins. Some people say, well, all sins alike. Oh, no. 
all sins will lose your soul in hellfire. But all sins are not the same. It's one sin to go in the store and steal the apple, but it's another sin to shoot the clerk. All sins are not the same. Some people say, I think it's uh, all right. Uh, I thought it, so I might as well do it. Yes, Jesus does say thinking it is sin, but he didn't say you might as well go ahead and do it because you thought it. Now, how do we handle these gradations of sin? Well, the little ones, we confess as they occur, and then we have the ordinance of humility before we come to the table at communion when we have the foot washing. The foot washing is like a little baptism. And when we lay the water on the feet, we're saying, Lord, as my mistakes have accumulated during the last quarter, the last 13 weeks, this water lapped on my feet is a physical demonstration of the fact that I want forgiveness. Not that we haven't had it all along, but this is the formal expression that says, I want forgiveness. And this is a little miniature baptism. That we have when we involve ourselves in the ordinance of humility. But then there are those big ones, those public sins. These we confess to God as well, but on the big ones, on those perfect on those public sins that 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 give denial to our profession, the church also gets involved. Now to some people who say, Whatever I do is my business, nobody's business but mine. But when you become a member of the church and you act up in public, it is our business. Did you know that? Sister Dyer, you have something for me. Give it to the ushers. Ushers, I want you to bring some of it up front. Deaconesses, you can help as well. I want everybody to get this next handout because it demonstrates what I now want to say about this classification of sin. What I'm giving you is a printout from the church manual. And uh, in order to speed up our distribution, let's, let, let's ask the, the deaconesses to help us. Give them a handful too, and they can take their places. And one of you takes some on the rostrum so the brethren there can have it. Here, let's share them all around. Those of you listening on the radio, sorry you can't see this, but I'm going to read it. And uh, you, you'll get the full import of it as well. Now, we know, we know how we handle all those little ones. But they're the big ones as well. And they're the ones when the church gets involved. Now, what do I mean when the church gets involved? I mean that there are some grievous sins. And this is from the church manual, page 195, where the church has to express itself. Just as there are rules that let you in the church, you know there are rules that let you out of the church? And this is your church manual. Many of you have gotten those manuals. I've been advertising for several weeks now, and you've read it. If not, here it is, and I want everybody to get it. Now, these are the sins. And I'm not preaching on sin. I'm preaching on grace. But if you don't know sin, then you don't know grace. So here, did everybody get a copy? All right, what about those? All right, everybody is equipped. Let's read number one. These are 
12 reasons for dismissal, in fact, from the church. Sister Miller, it's a fact, isn't it? It, it happens. Let's read. Number one, denial, everybody. Denial of faith in the fundamentals of the gospel and in the cardinal doctrines of the church or teaching doctrines contrary to the same. You know what that means? If somebody who's a member of the church starts saying, no, the Sabbath doesn't begin at sunset Friday, the Sabbath begins at midnight. And Pastor Haynes and Pastor Washington goes and tries to help them and says, brother, you're wrong. The Sabbath begins at sunset. Says so, Leviticus said so, and Genesis said so. When Jesus was buried, they had to get his body off the cross. The sun. So you prove to them from the Bible that the doctrine of Sabbath keeping is as taught, and they refuse to obey, then they become responsible to the church, and the church takes action. Number two, everybody, violation of the law of God, such as worship of idols, murder, stealing, profanity, gambling, Sabbath breaking, and willful and habitual falsehood. Now, those are some other things that can get the church involved. All right, number three, together, violation of the seventh commandment of the law of God as it relates to the marriage institution, the Christian home, and the biblical standards of moral conduct. So you can't be married and courting somebody else. You can't have two living, well, they can be living if you divorce one appropriately, but you can't have two wives at once, two husbands at once, unless you have done it the way the Bible says. Number four, let's all go. Such violations as fornication, promiscuity, incest, homosexual practice, sexual abuse of children and vulnerable adults, and other sexual perversions, and the remarriage of divorced persons except of the spouse who has remained faithful to the marriage vow in a divorce for adultery or sexual perversions. Self-explanatory. Number five, physical violence, including what? All right. So if the word gets to us that uh, somebody is beating up on somebody in your house and you are prayed with and you don't stop it, your church board will have to deal with you. Your church board will deal with you because your public performance affects the name of the church and the credibility of the church. All right. Num and you need correction. Number seven, together. Disorderly conduct which brings reproach upon the church. Number eight, adhering to or taking part in divisive All right, that means some sort of uh, Al-Qaeda or whatever in the community. Number nine, let's read together. Persistent refusal to recognize properly constituted church authority or to submit to the order and discipline of the church. Now, what is properly constituted church authority? That's your church board. We're going to have a nominating committee here pretty soon. They will structure a board and officers, and we're all supposed to be submissive. When the ushers ask you to sit here or there, or when the church does its things and puts out its request, it is expected that we'll all cooperate. Number 10, together, the use, manufacture, or sale of alcoholic beverages. Number 11, 
the use, manufacture, or sale of tobacco in any of its forms for human consumption. Number 12, the misuse of or trafficking in narcotics or other drugs. Let's keep reading. The Seventh-day Adventist Church recognizes the need of exercising great care to protect the highest spiritual interests of its members to ensure fair treatment and to safeguard the name of the church. Keep on. In a case of transgression of the commandments of God where there is deep repentance and full and free confession giving evidence that genuine conversion has taken place, the church may administer discipline by placing the transgressor under censor for a stated period of time. Keep on. However, in a case of flagrant violations of the law of God, which have brought public reproach upon the church, the church may deem it necessary, even though a sincere confession has been made, to remove an individual from church membership to protect its name and its Christian standards. And there's more, and you can read all about it in your manual. But what I'm exposing you to here today, and this is something we all should know and we should all be aware of, is that there are certain actions which make it mandatory for the church to talk to you. And if I am guilty of robbing a bank, if, they, if I'm guilty of robbing a bank, there's only one body in the Seventh-day Adventist denomination that can handle me, and that's you, because I'm a member of this church. I'm a member of this church, and my membership is here. And there's only one body in this church that can handle me if I'm caught robbing a bank. And that is the whole membership. The pastor can't handle you. The board can make the recommendation. But only the full body church in business meeting or some such forum can vote to put me on probation. Probation means that I have six months to straighten up. And if my conduct has been so egregious that even that's not feasible that I can be dismissed from the congregation so it's a very serious thing to become a member of the church brothers and sisters because when you become the member of the church you become a part of the whole body you no longer out there by yourself you're not an independent somebody what I do over here is my business I can beat my wife I can lie steal cheat curse and do all these other things and nobody's going to do anything about it oh no your church, your brothers and sisters have a responsibility toward God, toward themselves, and toward you. Not that the church doesn't forgive you, you or forgive me. The church forgives, but the church has to help us by giving us counsel and by making sure that everybody understands that it's not a free-for-all in the family of God but the church has its standards, and by God's grace, we can keep those standards if we will study his word and if we will absorb that spiritual bread we wound up with last Sabbath. If we will eat that spiritual bread, we will have strength to overcome the little ones and to overcome the big ones, and we won't have to worry about what we've just been talking about because that won't be a problem anyhow. But not only must we be aware and confess and forsake finally there's a fourth condition and that is in the latter part of this portion of the prayer which says forgive us our debts as we forgive who 
Now, being aware is one thing. Confessing is another thing. And straightening up and walking right is another thing. All good, all necessary, all proper. But the toughest one is this one. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know what that's saying? That's saying, Lord, I want you to forgive me to the same degree and with the same enthusiasm that I forgive those who trespass against me. In order to do that, we have to remember the words of Peter when Jesus was talking to the disciples about forgiveness. He said in Matthew 18, how often shall we forgive? Seven times? And what did Jesus say? Or 70 times? He said seven times. 70. 70 times. And the parable, you remember the man who was forgiven that Jesus followed with in the same chapter, the man who owed money to his boss, and he went to his boss and said, oh, forgive, forgive, and the boss had mercy and forgave him, and then there was somebody that owed him, and they said, oh, forgive, forgive. He said, you better give me my money. I won't forgive you anything. I want it all, and I want it with interest. And the boss heard about it and took care of the, of the mean man. We pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors with the knowledge. Romans 12, 19, God says, vengeance is whose? Vengeance is mine. And not only must we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, understanding that vengeance is God's, but we must pray it understanding that unless we forgive wholly and thoroughly, God is not going to forgive us. And that means even when somebody does something to you and they don't ask your forgiveness, you should be forgiving them. I had a family member that did something not too long ago that was very wrong. Very wrong. Very, very wrong. And um, I found forgiveness very difficult. You know, the, the worst person to forgive is somebody for whom you do something. You, you, and sometimes those are the ones that hurt you the worst, hurt you the first and the worst. You help that person. You sacrifice for that person. You actually go out of your way and you're nice to that person. And they turn around and bite you. Stab you in the back. That's a hard bit of forgiveness. And so, I, this is a relative to whom, for whom I had done a whole lot. And um, I, 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 I'm only telling you this because it's my own spiritual journey. I, uh, I found it hard. In fact, fact, I didn't forgive until I realized. And you know, one reason was, it has always been my theory that you can't forgive somebody until they ask for forgiveness. Are you going to forgive somebody they're not even sorry? (laughs) 
you go forgive somebody, they're not even sorry. But you know what? Lord gave me victory. I kept studying and thinking and praying. I realized I didn't have many options. I had to either forgive that individual, although they had not asked for forgiveness in the proper way. I had to forgive that individual or carry this in my heart, and I decided it wasn't worth carrying in my heart, and I would forgive anyway. Now, this business of forgiving, even though they don't ask for it, gets a little tricky because God says he casts our sins into the depths of the sea, of the ocean, as far as the east is from the west, Psalm 103. And you sometimes want to wonder what to do. The, the brother stole my $10. I will forgive him and forget the loss. I know he took it. I know he took it. He doesn't admit it, but I know he took my $10. I know it. Do I forgive him? Yes. Do I forget it? Yes. I forget the hurt. I forget the pain. But I'm not going to put another $10 out there for him to pick up. <laughs> and I'm still struggling with that one. Sometimes I think, well, I won't put another 10. Maybe I'll put a 5 and see what happens with that. <laughs> you get the point. But beyond and above everything else, when we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, what we are praying is, Lord, I want you to forgive me. Give me the power to forgive those who have wounded me and help me not to keep that in mind. And every time I see them, remember that. Help me to get over the pain, Lord. Take away the pain and help me to love everybody. Even those who've wounded, help me not to have any desire for retaliation. And there may be some people in this congregation today. And I like that song says, oh, the blood that Jesus shed for me. But there may be some people in this congregation today who need to go talk to somebody. Now, you know, when we preach these sermons, we're not just preaching them for entertainment or information. But for change of heart. And I've talked to you frankly today. I've had to have some changes, and I'm still going through changes. Hopefully in the right direction. But I want to challenge you, my dear member, my sister, my brother. If there's somebody in this congregation against whom you have ought. Matthew 18 tells us what to do about that. So you got to go to them. And if you think going to them is too dangerous for whatever reason, all right, just get on your knees and say, Father, I forgive. But it would be, be a sweet thing. It would be a sweet thing if you got it straight, if you got it together and said, Father, I forgive. There's some husbands and wives in here who need to forgive each other. There's some husbands and wives who need to have a hugging session 
and where the tears flow and you say, I forgive you. And after you say that, sister, don't bring it up every time you get mad. And you too, brother. Don't bring it up anymore. Let it go. Let it go. Of course, Colossians 3.13 says that we must forgive each other as Christ has forgiven us. And that sounds contradictory. In one place, the Bible says, forgive me, Lord, as I forgive. That puts us in the forefront. I forgive, you forgive. Colossians 3.13 says, you forgive, Lord. Or Paul says, Lord, I want you to remember these people and you and I should forgive each other as Jesus has forgiven us. Now, which is first, my forgiving you or Jesus forgiving me? Which is the real standard? Well, the truth is they're both the standard because I must forgive you individually when you take my $10 or when you scandalize my name, I must forgive you. But before that, before that, on the cross of Calvary, when Jesus died, he banked up a universe of forgiveness. Your and my forgiveness does not begin when we kneel and say, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Our forgiveness began on Calvary because when Jesus died, he stored up a universe of blood. And all we've got to do is go to the bank and draw off on it. Forgiveness is already there. Jesus forgave us on Calvary. He just wants you to come and ask us. All he is waiting is for you to come and beg us. All he wants you to say is, forgive us our debts. You heard the story of the little boy and his sister and the wagon. The old evangelist used to tell the little boy, broke his mama's pottery. You heard it. And his sister said, I won't tell, but you pull me. You pull me. And the sister sat in the wagon, and he pulled her along around the block, and he got tired, said, okay, that's enough. She said, no, pull me. And he got the first pine, and his knees were aching, and, and he said, that's enough, sis. She said, no, you pull me. And he kept pulling until finally, worn out, he dropped the wagon tongue and he ran back to his house. And his mother was standing there and he leaped up in her arms. He said, Mama, I'm sorry. She said, why didn't you come to me in the first place? I saw the whole thing. <laughs> All you had to do was come in the first place. What I'm talking about today is forgiveness that's already there in the first place. And nobody has to leave here today guilty because of your bad actions. Those actions nobody knows but you. The forgiveness is already there. It was banked up on Calvary in the blood of Jesus. And what you and I must do is go boldly to the throne of grace and ask him to forgive us and ask him for power to do it no more, to think it no more, to say it no more, to go there no more. That's the consequence, that's the result of understanding and truly praying, Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Our Father in heaven, we thank thee for Jesus, our Lord and Savior.
for the fact that he has forgiveness already there we come today to access that loving forgiveness that was piled up at Calvary that inexhaustible supply of the blood of forgiveness Lord forgive our past and cleanse us we don't want to be like that anymore and while your heads are bowed and you're praying for yourself and you're praying for me and you're praying for your neighbor you're praying for your family I'm going to conclude with this brief appeal if you are aware of something in your life that needs to be left at the cross somebody in your life that needs to be left at the cross today if there's something for which you want final forgiveness by God's grace and by his help you're not gonna go there anymore just stand before we finish the prayer if you don't have such a problem Lord understands don't worry about it you might have done this this morning before you came here but I want to be specific this is not general it's not for everybody. I'm talking to those of you who have something for which you want immediate forgiveness. Would you stand? Some relationship you want mended? Some habit? Something with which you're struggling? You want forgiveness? And a new walk? While these are standing and before I finish that prayer, if you are here today and you are not a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, I want to be specific. We want you to be a member here. You heard this sermon. We don't claim to be perfect. Certainly I don't. We're all sinners saved by grace, marching toward Zion, trusting in the blood, leaning on the everlasting arms, eating the word, getting strength from week to week. If you're not already a member of the church and you want to belong to a band of people like this, you may stand to join the others who are already standing. And to all of our visitors who are here, be sure to sign that little slip on your bulletin so we can keep up with you, give you lessons, send you materials, keep you in our prayers. Oh, Father, these are your people. This is your church. This is your word. Teach us to pray. And let's all say it together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread as we forgive our debtors. And give us temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Shall we be seated? Benediction. Father, as we have been learning to pray, what to pray for, how to pray, we ask, Lord, that you would continue to open our hearts and minds and be receptive to your will and words for us. And as we proceed to 
leave this place today, Lord. Continue to be with us. Help us as we leave here not to leave thy presence is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.